0: Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable, that's the key, simple and repeatable, 10-step process for sales success. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies Studio in Washington, D.C., Our host and guest today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies, and the title of the show is Using Cognitive Biases to Positively Influence Sales Prospects. Hello, John.
1: Hello, Dave.
0: So, John, in your previous Asher Sales Sense show, you covered how properly applied neuroscience techniques can disrupt the standard sales process. You discussed ways... Sales professionals can employ activators to appeal to our ancient brains so that final decisions can be made in our modern brains. But there's more going on in our brains that can affect decision-making, right? What, what else should sales professionals be aware of?
1: Well, Dave, there's a whole other category of um, ways you can use our old brain our ancient brain to influence others. And um, the background is our brain is a very complex organ under development for millions of years and um, at least high hundreds of thousands. And it has about 100 billion neurons or cells. Um, Each neuron fires on an average of once every second, and each neuron is connected to 10,000 other neurons through connections are called synapses. So if you can imagine all that activity going on, our brain burns a ton of energy as it's making decisions. For the two of us just talking here, 20% of our total energy being burned by our bodies right now is being burned by our brain. So the brain has learned over all these years to develop shortcuts, rules of thumb, Uh, neuroscientists call them cognitive biases, to kind of get the idea up front so the brain can make an easy, quick decision and not have to keep on burning all that energy. And so the way, of course, these apply to sales and marketing and in many cases executive behavior is take your understanding of these cognitive biases and then use them to positively influence other people. Notice I didn't say to manipulate other people, it's to positively influence them. That's a big factor in sales is you're really trying to influence other people to make the right decision, give them the information to make the right decision. So if you just go to Wikipedia and type in cognitive bias, gosh, there's 104 of them. So our company has analyzed them, all 104, and boiled them down to about 50 that apply to sales and marketing in many cases, and in many cases, executive decisions. So to give you an example of this, a quick one would be, if the old brain, our ancient brain smells smoke, does it have to do a lot of um, tough thinking, hard thinking, to figure out what's probably going on? Then obviously not. We've all heard if there's smoke, there's fire. So that's just a very quick example of it. And here's what really thrills me actually about Understanding the activators that we talked about in the last uh, podcast and this, the cognitive biases, is the art of a sale has always been what people talk about. We've always thought about sales as having a process for sales, like uh, companies will have seven steps to their sales process, and they may have a whole group of salespeople, and the salespeople may have different personalities, which is fine. They may actually accomplish the steps in a different way which is fine also, as long as they accomplish the steps. So there's always been a process to sales and an art of the sale. And now what really thrills me as an engineer, actually, is now we know the science behind sales. It's not just random. We really have the whole picture now on sales. We got the art, the science, and the process. Some of these uh, biases, of course, are they, they verify what we've all known by experience. Some of them are surprisingly new, and then some of them totally upset what we thought was the right thing to do. So that's what's that's what's so interesting about them.
0: Well, well what's an example of one of these uh, where sales professional could use it to positively influence a customer?
1: Take one first little grouping of them. Um, we all know relationships are important in sales, and for most sales, unless you're talking about a pure commodity, um, the buyer must buy the salesperson. They must like the salesperson. So there's three biases, the compliment bias, the reciprocity bias, and the similarity bias that help us do a better job in rapport building. So when you give another person a compliment, a lightning bolt goes off in their their brain. You've literally made their whole day. So the practical application or advice would be when you meet a buyer for the first time, um, give them a compliment. Now, it wouldn't be about uh, her blouse. Um, That would be a little off-putting, but do some research. Maybe you compliment a video you watched on her company's website or her website or maybe her company's reputation or their facilities or.
0: Right. Keep it, keep it professional t- and keep it sincere, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's three aspects to a good compliment. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be authentic. And it's got to be meaningful. So usually a great compliment is about maybe a CEO would give to one of their people how they really did a great job or how they really helped somebody else in the company or something they really did great for the community. So the first thing to do when you meet a new prospect and rapport building is give them a compliment and you can't just do it off the cuff. You've got to think about it beforehand and be ready for it. The next bias that applies to relationships is called the reciprocity bias. Another incredibly strong bias and it essentially means when somebody does something for us, our brain is now energized to give back to do something for them uh, in return, and you see this play out in all aspects of life. But of course, it applies to sales as well. So when you first meet the buyer for the first time, or like even the current customer, anytime, give them a gift. It doesn't have to be a big expensive gift. Could be a book. Could be an article. Could be all kinds of things. In some cases, it could be extra time. So many of our listeners have heard the term much obliged. And Dave, does much obliged mean just a little bit obliged?
0: No, it means much.
1: (laughs) It means much. It means a lot. (laughs) So just hearing that term much obliged gives you an idea about how strong the reciprocity bias is. It's strong in every culture. In China, you know, where I've been many, many times, there's actually a name for it. It's called the Ren Qing. So if you do a favor for somebody in China, they must return the favor, even if it's 20 years later. And if they pass, their family is obliged to return the favor. And to give you a practical example, um, Roger Staubach, Navy quarterback, Hall of Fame Dallas quarterback, successful real estate developer, he has a statement about this, which I think is one of the best. And that is, there are no traffic jams on the extra mile. Meaning, if you go the extra mile for your customers or prospects, you really separate yourself from the rest of so the salespeople. And the third kind of relationship-related bias is called the similarity bias. And this goes back to the uh, jungle or the African plain where one primate met another. They had to make a very fast decision whether the other primate was going to eat them, uh, kill them, be a friend, uh, maybe be a partner. And so we know from these latest functional MRI studies, imagine a pyre in a chair with a helmet on, an MRI machine built in, that... When we see another person for the first time, we make up our minds in 0.07 seconds—very fast. And so, the similarity bias essentially says: when you meet somebody new, if they're similar to you, it's much more likely that you'll have a positive impression of them. And by similarity, I mean similar gender, similar age, similar background, similar the service they served in—say, Army, Navy, or any service political leanings, sports preferences. An example would be if if you and I were meeting for the first time, and you were the buyer and I was the seller, and you were talking slower than I'm talking, well then I'm gonna slow down. If you're talking louder, then I'm gonna talk louder. If uh, you have a certain body language, then I'm not gonna immediately mock your body language, but I'll ease into your body language. If uh, you start using some acronyms associated with your industry, then I'll pick up on those acronyms and use them right away. So within a very short period of time in your brain, old brain, the brain goes like this. It goes, wow, this person is just like me. Therefore they must be awesome. <laughs> and you get this initial uh, positive impression. And it's kind of interesting, you know, the neuro linguistic programming, which is an application of this, has been studied at Stanford for 35 years. There's books, there's training courses, there's a ton of information. It all just goes back to the similarity bias. That's where it all just really came from. So those are three kind of interesting relationship building related biases that apply when you really first meet another person. Say so give him a compliment, give him a gift, and appear similar.
0: That's great. Before we go on to the next section, why don't we take a quick commercial break? Okay, great. <laughs> Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to AsherStrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. We've been speaking with John Asher about using cognitive biases to positively influence sales prospects. Now back to the discussion. John, that was interesting, those first three cognitive biases on the relationships that we establish immediately, you know, building rapport, that kind of thing. Are there others that you could talk about how to help a customer, a prospect, make a good decision?
1: Uh, sure. There's a lot of them. And some of these really upset what we thought was the right thing to do. And I'll give you an example. Another one of these biases is called the anchor bias. And that is when our brains first hear one of several opportunities, our brain anchors on it. Again, because it doesn't want to burn a lot of energy to change its mind, when it hears the next two opportunities. It looks for any way to get rid of them, so it doesn't have to think about them. And so a couple of applications for sales would be, if your company and two others are after a hot opportunity, and you've got to present all on the same day, 10 a.m., 1, and 4 p.m., and you have an inside coach, and she says, you know, I can influence whether your company presents first, second, or third. Think about which one you'd want to be, first, second, or third. By well, at least half the people will say third go last, and the real answer is always go first. And again, first. it's because the buyer will always be the first to present. Now, this applies when all three presentations are pretty good. In other words, it's not one that's really bad. So all three are confident, or they wouldn't be invited to give give a presentation to a group of buyers or a buyer. So always be the first to present. Buyers' brains will anchor on your presentation, and then when they hear the next two, they don't do a lot of hard thinking to change their minds. They'll look for anything to get rid of the second and third. So that, that's an example of one of these biases that totally upsets what we've all thought was the right thing to do. Here's another example of the anchor bias. So you're with a customer, you have an initial conversation, and now pretty close to the to right, right up front, the buyer asks, so what's the price? How much? A couple of the current sales training classes, they'll say, um, uh, yeah, great, qualify fast. Give them the price right up front to see if they're going to be a qualified lead, a qualified prospect. But the real answer, because of the anchor bias, is don't give them the price up front. Say something like, be happy to show you our prices, but there's really three ways we could handle this issue that you've got. So let me describe all three ways, and then I'll tell you about the pricing for all three. And the reason to do that and not give the price up front is if you give the price up front, the buyer's brain anchors on that price. And it's very difficult to get them off of that price. There's just a two two quick examples of the anchor bias that upsets what a lot of people have thought was the right thing to do.
0: John, that last example is really good for sales professionals who want to avoid being shopped. Instead of talking about the money, you go into value of, the, of different options rather than just straight to price.
1: Totally agree. And all because of the anchor bias. <laughs> Another one that everybody's heard of is called the status quo bias. And that is for all of us, every listener out there, including me and you, Dave, if there's no reason to change, why change? Right? To keep on doing what we're doing. It's easy, safe right? Everything's, everything's good. And of course, most of us salespeople want to change the status quo for the buyer, get them to start buying from us. And so all buyers know three things about the status quo bias. One, there may be switching costs. They may have an inventory of the other companies, the incumbent company's um, products in the warehouse. Uh, two, all change is difficult. Even, even change we do is good for us is, is tough. It's difficult. And three, buyers will not change for a 4% improvement. In other words, a very small improvement. Now, when the status quo bias, the context for the status quo bias is this. If the buyer is unhappy with their current provider or incumbent, then we have a really good chance here. This is is a good one for us. But if the buyer is okay or happy with their current incumbent, and we want them to shift to us, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be really difficult. And so in that situation, in that context where the buyer is happy or okay, you must have a switching cost strategy. In fact, one of our bigger customers is in the Southeast, the hardwood floor manufacturer, third generation CEO told me, and they only sell two distributors, not to, to the public. He said, said, you know, when we're trying to get a new distributor, we'll offer to buy the inventory of the current hardwood manufacturer. We'll sell it off at a discount, but now we have a big new distributor. And of course, that was his way to ameliorate the switching cost strategy in the, in the buyer's mind. Second, you've got to be able to show the buyer that they do not have to lift a finger to make this transition from the incumbent to your company. Your team will take care of everything. And third, you must have a significant ROI for whatever the financial metric is, higher cash flow, higher gross margin, higher revenue, lower cost, whatever it is, the financial metric. You must have at least a 15% improvement. Well, buyers just won't shift. And that 15% actually is kind of interesting. It's easier to get in today's world with all this new technology and kind of we're in the middle of the age of disruption than it, than it used to be and why the challenger sale idea is such a great idea. So that's the status quo bias. And now we know exactly what we need to do if we're trying to get a buyer to shift from their incumbent who they're okay with or happy with to us. The last couple to go together are called a single option aversion bias and the choice paradox bias. So the single option aversion bias, and here's a, this is the data behind this bias, based on mobile studies, 33 industries, many, many years. If you offer the buyer a single option, 10% will buy. If you offer the buyer two different similar options, 64% will buy a difference in closing rate of 640%. So the obvious practical application is always offer the buyer two options, never only one. And even though we only have one thing to offer the buyer, we can always offer two versions of it. The next bias that applies to this is called the choice paradox bias. The choice part of the choice paradox bias means that many salespeople think, if I can just show them all seven of our products, one's bound to fit. One's bound to stick, but the paradox part of the choice paradox bias tells us if you offer the buyer more than three options, their ancient brain becomes confused. And I know you know the answer to this, Dave. Will a confused brain make a decision?
0: It can't.
1: <laughs> it won't. It's right. It won't. So because of the choice paradox bias, never offer more than three options. So if you combine those two, single option version, never offer only one, choice pair about box, never offer more than three, combine them, always offer the buyer two or three options. And you see this play out in real life a lot. If you go to a fancy restaurant, take your partner for anniversary dinner, and they have specials, almost always two or three specials. And many of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard the term, always offer the buyer good, better, best. And so because of these two cognitive biases, we now know the uh, science behind the good, better, best.
0: John, we've we've just got a, a few more minutes. I know that you've been teaching people to sell all <clears throat> over the world for many years with your closed deals, faster course, featuring your top 10 selling skills. But isn't there something new you can offer with uh, this research that's been done on on neuroscience? Is there, a, is there a new course you want to tell the listeners about?
1: Well, actually, Dave, I've got a new book coming out in the, in the fall. It's called the Neuroscience of Sales, Selling to the Heart and Brain. And it is essentially a, a new sales book that takes advantage of this explosion of information in the last five years from this worldwide network of neuroscientists. And again, most of all of their studies are done with these functional MRI machines. So we can see when you try a technique on a buyer, when does the dopamine circuit fire, the oxytocin circuit fire? When does the serotonin circuit fire? When do more than one of them fire at the same time? When, the, when does nothing happen? We have the science now behind how to activate the buyer's old brain and how to use these biases to influence them. So this new book I have coming out in November is essentially focused on all of this.
0: Well, great. That's something we can all look forward to. That's all the time we have for today, John. So thank you. Our next show is in two weeks. Be sure to join us. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio.